It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Although sewing since childhood, Raya Salama didn't get introduced to quilting until she was in her late 20s. Quilting took over her life very quickly, and before long she was designing her own quilt patterns through her business Quilter's Treasure Chest. Having taught quilting in the years past, Raya is very aware of the needs for precise, accurate, and easy-to-follow instructions. Hence, Raya spent years developing patterns that will deliver much more than your average quilt pattern. From detailed instructions, including pressing directions, to colored pictures, to standalone quilt assembly diagram postcards, Raya has put a lot of thought and effort into developing a pattern format that will impress even the most demanding quilter. Raya, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to visit with me on A Quilter's Life. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Tell me about where you were born and raised. I was born in a little town called Eno in Finland. It's a rather small town, used to be the center where I used to live, about 2,500 people, and the whole town, about 8,500 people. But currently, there's probably under 7,000 people living there. And what is interesting about Eno is that Eno means uncle in English, yet the name came from Karelian language, which means the center of the river where the water flows most strongly. And we have a big river you know, flowing by right when you enter Eno. And it's a huge land area, about 420 square miles. I'm a child of teachers. And in fact, my mom was my teacher first through the sixth grade. And as such, I grew up in an apartment building that six teacher families grew up in. And I lived there for 17 years two of which I lived in Uvascula, which is a bigger town in the middle of Finland. And actually one of my brothers experienced an attempted kidnapping by a seven-year-old girl who I actually witnessed. It was a horrific, horrific scene, but I'm glad that we got him back and all is well. Oh, how horrible to have to see something like that. It was, it was dramatic. Yeah. You mentioned that you grew up in an apartment building because your parents were teachers. So they had a building about 100 meters away from the school and total of six families lived in there. And I need to say I had the best childhood, really, really enjoyed living there. And my distance to school was always small, the elementary school, 100 meters away middle school about 200 meters away and the high school was a whopping 400 meters away from me (laughs) so nobody had to take me to school just go and walk wow now is that a normal practice in finland or was it particular for that school back in the early days it was very common that 
teachers were living very close to the school and usually the school provided housing. But nowadays, no. But back in the days, like when I was a child, it was quite common, at least in the more rural areas. I don't know about the cities, but rural areas. Yeah. Interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. Now, do you have a specific childhood memory that brings you joy? I have many. One of them is like every summer when the circus came to town, me, my siblings and my best friend and many, many other people came and helped the circus to get everything set up. And in exchange, we got free tickets to go and watch the performance. That was a lot of fun. And then also another really wonderful memory is us as a family going to Gumaki. It was a land that my grandmother used to own, just forest. But my dad ended up building a pond where he grew rainbow trouts. And I just loved fishing for them. And then my dad smoking the fish. And it was so, so, so delicious. Also, as growing up in Finland, it's very, very common of going to the forest and picking up blueberries and lingonberries. So I have a lot of fond memories of going with my family and picking those berries up. And as an older child, you know, in teenager, I played volleyball and we had a lot of away games. So going on those trips and having company of my friends and playing, it was just so much fun. So there was a lot of memories, but there are, I'm sure many others, but those are some special ones. Yeah. Now, when you were traveling with the volleyball team in high school, did you get to travel just in Finland or did you go to some neighboring countries also? Well, that is a good question. Sadly, it was only in Finland, but it was still a very, very special thing. But still now, 40 years later, my high school team got to the top four in the Finland thing. And had we gotten the second place, we would have gotten to go to Belgium to play for the European competition. But we had so much bad luck. Our two top players couldn't get the ball over the net for the life of them. And our setter had been sick with high fever and vomiting. So things didn't go as planned. So sadly, we didn't get to go to Europe. (laughs) But it still was pretty amazing success story to come from a small town and get to be among the top four teams. So that was fun. That's a major accomplishment. Yeah. And of course, I was just warming up the bench but in those days, but it's still, you know, get to be part of a team and play every once in a while. It's fun. Yeah. Do you have employment besides quilting business? I used to, yeah. I went to UCLA and studied economics and business. And I worked at UCLA first, and then we had our first kid. And then before we had our second, we decided that I would be a stay-at-home mom, which I thoroughly loved. Sadly, things don't always happen the way you anticipate. So my husband ended up getting sick. We ended up having to move. 
And once he was well enough that he didn't require constant care, I went back to the real world and worked for Walmart in accounting and merchandising. So, Yeah, things don't usually end up the way we pictured them, do we? No, no. But I'm a strong believer that there's always something good in something bad. So, yeah, I had to go back to work and I couldn't do the quilt pattern business, which I had just basically gotten started with. But I ended up getting to play volleyball, which I had fallen in love with when we lived in California. So it's nice that, you know, I got to do that. Plus, our kids got to get their childhood in much nicer place compared to California, where there are so many restrictions. You cannot just let them go and roam free. You need to be watching them. So over here, they could go and play and enjoy life, kind of like how I got to do my childhood. So there are blessings in disguise. And where is over here? Yeah, I live in Rogers, Arkansas. So it's Northwest Arkansas, mainly known for where Walmart headquarters are located. Okay. And I want to back up just a minute here. Can you tell me about how you came over to the United States from Finland? Yeah. So in Finland, you know, I went to high school and back in those days, about a third of the people would get to go to high school. Like you actually need to apply. And if your grades are not good enough, you don't get in, even if you wanted to. So after high school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought maybe becoming a teacher, just like my parents had been. And I did apply to a teaching program at the university and I didn't get accepted. And it's kind of funny because I did get accepted to UCLA and I ended up graduating with honors. So the education system is so different in Finland. It's very competitive. Who gets to go? And what is nice in Finland is that it's free. But over here, obviously, it's very, very expensive. But it kind of tells you that, you know, I cannot get into a teaching program in Finland. Yet I do well over here, even though English is not my first language. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. My son had a roommate from Brazil. And we tended to ask him questions. I guess we as Americans sometimes, or maybe it was just me, tend to think people coming from other countries are smarter than us. Finland used to rank really high back a few years ago on all the math and science and reading, but now they have kind of come downhill. But it's just the education system is so different in different countries. And I think one of the reasons Finns do really well in reading is that Every word that you read, the letters sound exactly the same. So it's very easy to read Finnish. However, Finnish happens to be one of the hardest languages there is because we conjugate our words. We don't have articles or prepositions, but you put things into the end of the word. So the word may change completely. It's still the same thing, but it's just depending how you're using it, it may sound or read completely different but I don't think people are necessarily smarter but there may be 
values in education is different. Well, actually, one thing that I believe what makes Finns do so well or used to do so well is that we don't go to school from eight to four or eight to three without tons of breaks. Like when I went to school, after every 45 minutes of instruction, you had 15 minute break and you would be going outside and running around, especially in elementary school and giving your brain a break to relax. So over here, I was kind of shocked when my daughter started to go to school that they are there without many breaks at all. Like you said, our systems are so different. Yeah, and what is the best system? Who knows? Like I said, in Finland, after your ninth grade in middle school, many people end up going to trade schools, whereas over here, people are kind of forced to go to high school, even if they are much better in their hands-on things. So I think you can focus then more on people who enjoy studying and have the book smarts, yet providing the people who are street smarts and have ability to use their hands better a different avenue. So I think that makes also a big difference how over here you compare the whole population, but in Finland, not everybody's going to high school. Yeah, there's so much involved with all of that. Yeah, very different. And so you came to UCLA in... I'm assuming you met your husband there? In a sense, yes, but he wasn't going to UCLA. I started UCLA just taking 12 units per quarter because I had to also work 20 to 30 hours a week. So kind of ease it in. And when I started my third year, I found out that foreigners had to graduate in four years. So I went from taking 12 units to taking 22 units a quarter, plus still working 20 to 30 hours a week. So I had to kind of add some easier classes to my schedule. And one of them happened to be Finnish folk art and technology, kind of, a, I would call it a cheater class. And the professor happened to be a third generation Finn who was part of the Finnish folk dancing group. And she invited everybody to come and take a look at their practice. And I ended up being the only one who went, but that's where I met my husband. So what is interesting also is that this folk dancing group was formed because back in 1980, probably three, an older Finnish lady got a call from the Olympic Committee about whether there was a Finnish folk dancing group in the area because they wanted every nation to be presented in the 1984 Olympics. And this lady said, yes, there is, even though there wasn't. And she quickly found Finns who potentially were interested in doing folk dancing. And my husband was one of them. So he was one of the founding members of the group. Only. I get to thank the Olympic Committee for meeting my husband, <laughs> in a sense. Yep, that's right. Wow. How fun. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to share about your family? 
So I mentioned that we have a couple of kids. They are daughters. Um, the oldest one just turned 30 and lives in Boston, Massachusetts, and is married. And she's actually the first doctor in the family. Well, a PhD doctor. She's a clinical psychologist. And our youngest one lives in Portland, Oregon. And both of our daughters love art and are very artistic. And the younger one is also excellent photographer. And she loves nature. So she often goes to different nature places in Oregon to forage. And then while she's in the nature, she takes nature pictures and sends them to us. So it's fun to see. Yeah, that's about it. (laughs) Before we go on, I do have to ask, did you teach your daughters the Finnish dances? No, because we kind of quit doing that while I was pregnant with the first one because I started to get dizzy. But they did end up going to a lot of the Scandinavian festivals where they saw folk dancing. And I made their Finnish folk costumes to wear it when we would be on those festivals. So it was fun. Oh, good. They got a taste of it then. Right. Besides quilting, are there other crafts you do or have done? Well, as a younger, you know, back still living in Finland, I used to knit and crochet. And when my kids were young, I also sewed a lot of the clothing for them. But lately, it's basically my time and interest is in making quilts. Do you have any other hobbies? I used to do Finnish folk dancing. I also was introduced to contra dancing when I was a student at UCLA. And I did that for many years, but since COVID hit, I haven't done that. But I guess my biggest love besides quilting has been playing volleyball. But again, with COVID, it came to a screeching halt. And now I don't know if I still could go and play because I have developed osteoarthritis. So I don't know if I could still do it, but it was something that gave me a lot of enjoyment over the years. It sounds fun. It is a lot of fun. And when you think about that, an old lady like me can be playing with guys, some of who are half my age, and everybody's enjoying the games. It's kind of pretty remarkable. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think your hobbies show up in your quilting? No, actually, I don't think so. Even though my family is very artistic, even my parents and I have relatives who have recently found out who actually have painted the altar painting at churches. I feel like I'm not very artistic and I don't have the talent of drawing things. So my designs, I always was good in math and drawing geometrical things like and coloring them really well. So I don't think that my other hobbies relate to quilting in any way. So it sounds like quilting is your artistic outlet. It is, and it's kind of neat because I never considered myself artistic, and now I kind of feel like I am a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) 
Can you tell me about who introduced you to quilting? When I lived in Finland, I had never seen a quilt. You do learn to sew when you're third grade, so about nine years old. And I even took sewing as an elective, but never, ever did I see a quilt. So when I came to the U.S. and started to go to fabric stores, I started to see quilts. And I think it was love at first sight when I saw them because I got really intrigued and excited and then started to teach myself how to make them. Do you still have family back in Finland? And the reason I'm asking that is, are there quilts over there now? I still have family. My dad died a long time ago. He was only 45 years old. My mom died two years ago. But one of my brothers is still alive and lives there with his family and, of course, uncles and cousins and all that. I used to go there a lot, but now due to COVID, I haven't been there, even though I was supposed to go there this summer and teach, but I just had to cancel it. But people are quilting and there's even a guild or guilds in Finland. Obviously, it's a slightly different. Last time I went to the fabric stores, they don't necessarily have a big selection for quilting fabrics, more so for sewing, whether it's clothing or curtains or all that. But there are quilters. And actually, I'm going to be going on a cruise and there will be two Finns coming to the quilting cruise with me. Oh, fun. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Now, whether it's one that you made or another pattern or another quilt, do you happen to have a favorite quilt? That is a very, very hard question because there are so many quilts that I love. I don't think I have made very many of other people's patterns. And definitely, I haven't made any in a very, very, very long time. I think that my first favorite was a pattern called Charlotte's Lace. And I ended up making that four different times for different fabric companies. Another one that I really, really like, and it's a kind of a neat story, it's called Ozarks in Plume. It was an accidental design when I was getting ready to do a little lecture at a sewing machine store, wanted to show people how to use electric quilt. And when I started to do a roadmap of what I was going to show, I just played with it a little bit and accidentally this design came up. So that was my favorite for the longest time. But then there are my magic potion, tools of a trade, and my new clock of a month named Rosina. But I think every time I create something new, it may become my favorite just because of the fabrics and the design, if they end up going together really well. So, yeah, it's hard to pick one. Yeah. And when you're making your quilts, what tool are you so happy you have? I was making my maybe the third or fourth quilt called Dance with Stars. And I have been using different tools of making V-block. And I was kind of almost cursing in my head because things just were not getting perfect. Like I would be missing a point here and there, no matter how hard I tried. 
And I was thinking in my head, you know, I wish there would be somebody who would figure out how to make these things oversized so that then I could trim it and make sure that I could get my points correctly. And little did I know that there was such a tool already in the market. So before I got to publish that pattern, I ran into a person who was demoing a V-plot tool by Studio 180 Design. And I ended up buying it and I'm using that tool a lot. Not only that tool, but many of the other tools that Studio 180 produces because most of them have the same principle, make things oversized so that you can trim everything to perfection. And it really helps your accuracy a lot. Obviously, you weren't the only one that was wanting that. That's right. And I end up loving them so much that I think I discovered them in 2014. And in 2016, I enrolled and became their certified instructor for the tools because I really think they make a world of difference in your quilting life. That's good to know. Now, some quilters like the whole process and some dread certain parts of it. Do you have a favorite part of the process of quilting or do you like every step? (laughs) Are there people who actually really love binding? I think that must be my least favorite part. But I think for me, it's really probably the designing process because I get to just play with my electric quilt, which is a software for designing quilts. Also, it helps you to see how the fabrics come together before you actually sew them. Like I said, with the Ozarks in Plume, it was an accidental design. I wasn't even intending to make a design, just something to show how to use the program. So designing, but then at the same time, finishing your top when you actually see, especially if it looks really pretty, is very, very satisfying. And obviously the quilting itself I don't do free motion quilting. I wish I could do that, but I have a computerized long arm and it's so nice to see when the quilting and the quilt top blend together and what they produce because it becomes so much more than what it was. That's amazing when it all comes together. It really is. I mean, Even though the top can be very, very pretty and striking, but the right quilting really makes the whole thing come together and really give you a lot of pleasure. Yeah. And then when you're finishing it off, I know some people use a binding that matches or is the same material as the backing, and some people use a coordinating material. What do you tend to use for your bindings? I most often use whatever is on my border. Occasionally, I use some coordinating fabric, but it's mainly what is on the top, on the border. Okay. Please share your worst quilting experience. (laughs) Okay. I think it has to be my first attempt of making a quilt. I had gone to some type of a craft show in California and I saw a pineapple quilt and they were selling stamps that you could stamp on muslin 
you could do a foundation piecing. And I was so excited, bought that, and then went to probably House of Fabrics or whatever it used to be called to buy fabrics. And I'm not talented in picking fabrics. I know what I like, but when I put them together, they don't necessarily sing. That's why I really need the electric quilt because it tells me what goes together and what doesn't. So I had done probably 12 blocks and started to put them together and it looked really, really ugly. So needless to say, I never ended up finishing that one. And I'm sad to say that I threw it away because it would make kind of a nice piece to show on guilt lectures that I do, that this is where I actually started out and it didn't work out, but you shouldn't give up even if the thing doesn't come out the way you like. Yeah, it's amazing how so many of us at times give up, but those that didn't make beautiful things. Yeah, there are some true, true, extremely talented artists that can really make amazing things. I remember my sister has made a couple of quilts, but she has a very good eye for color and picking up fabrics and she would put the ugliest fabrics together but as they come together they make a very beautiful composition but I do have a hard time choosing fabrics if I don't have my electric quilt so we all have our different strengths that's true and it makes the life more interesting when we are not all molded exactly the same way Yes, I'm so glad for that. What do you think draws you to making quilts rather than going ahead and using your time to do something else? I think we touched on this a little bit earlier. I think for me, it is an art form that a non-artistic person can be successful, especially if they have the right tools, whether it's electric quilt or a ruler type of a tool that makes piecing more accurate. It just gives you a lot of satisfaction to make something beautiful out of nothing. Or, well, I mean, you use the fabric, but I couldn't just take a piece of paper and do something beautiful. But with fabric, I can create something that is beautiful and functional at the same time. Yes, I love that it's functional. Yeah. Plus decorative, you know, some of them are wall quilts and also they make such great gifts because you really cannot put a value for a quilt, but you know that it was made with love. Definitely. And who do you make your quilts for? I think I initially used to mainly make them for family and actually I made some for sale as well back in California. But lately, it really has been making them for fabric manufacturers to showcase their newest collections. They have kept me pretty busy, so I haven't had time to do much of anything else. In fact, sadly, I mentioned that my oldest daughter got married. She got married two years ago, and I started her book, but I haven't yet finished it. Oh, no. <laughs> it's okay. They are planning a move next summer so I'm hoping that I will 
make it ready for their new home, wherever they're going to live. That will be nice. Yeah. I'm curious, when you make a quilt for a manufacturer, I'm assuming you send it off to them for them to take pictures of it and use it in their advertising or whatever. Yeah, it really depends on which manufacturer I'm working with. Some of them do want to photograph the quilts themselves. They also may want them to be displayed on quilt market or other events. Some just want me to make the quilt, take my own pictures and produce the pattern so that they can be showcasing that there is such a pattern that uses the collection. So it really depends on the manufacturer. Right now, I just mailed it on Monday, three of my quilts to quilt market for one of the fabric manufacturers to be displayed in their booth. So it all depends on the manufacturer. So I am also curious, what happens to the quilts when they are done with them? Do they give them to charity? Do they give them back to you? No, they give them back to me. Like the one that I sent the quilts on Monday, it's a new company that I have never worked before, but I do assume that I will get the quilts back once they are done with it. The other manufacturer where I used to send my quilts for photography, I can now do my own photography, so I don't necessarily have to even send it to them. Then another company, they never asked me to send it to them, but if the quilts were part of a keepsake quilting catalog, for example, I may have needed to send it to keepsake quilting so that they can do their own photography. I'm also a Maywood maker, which is kind of like an ambassador for the fabric company. And they have two of my quilts right now. And I'm assuming that at some point I do get them back. I'm hoping anyways. <laughs> <laughs> then you're able to use them in your lectures? Yes. Uh-huh. The deadlines of when you need to get the quilts to the manufacturer is very, very fast. But I do need to try to get a picture before I send them out so I can make the pattern cover. I do enjoy lecturing nowadays, but when I was initially asked to give a lecture, I didn't like the idea at all because I'm not a public speaker. So I really, really had to think long and hard if I wanted to go that route and start giving lectures. But I'm so glad that I decided to start doing them because they are a lot of fun. You get to meet so many wonderful people and sharing your story and showing your quilts off. It's a lot of fun. We do fight talking. And I know that some people don't want to be on my podcast because of that. But people always seem happy that they do it. So I can see how happy you must have been to be able to start giving lectures and then all the benefits that come with it. Yeah, I end up getting very lucky. So the first guild that invited me was in Kimberlin City, Missouri, about two hours away from my home. And my own guild's president ended up coming with me. She asked if I wanted to have some company and she kept talking all the way over there. And then even before my lecture, she just kept talking. So I didn't have time to get nervous. 
And after my portion of the lecture was over, there was this lady who handed me a piece of paper and it basically said that she has been a public speaker for 12 years. And she said, you did really, really well, that they have had many national level teachers coming in and giving lectures. And the room has never been so quiet as it was when I was giving my lecture. So it really, really helped me overcome my fears. And I learned that, hey, I can do this. Yeah, I may stumble sometimes, but I still can get my points across. And I really have become to love doing the lectures. That is so neat. Yeah. I don't know how I got to be so lucky that that person happened to be in the audience and decided to write that note. I mean, obviously, in the beginning of my lecture, I did say this is my first time doing this. I'm not a public speaker, so please bear with me. (laughs) Maybe she knew that I needed some encouragement, but it really was spot on and helped me get started and continue. Yeah, I'm sure she knew you needed that. Plus, she wouldn't have given you that note if you hadn't done a good job. So that is really cool. Well, thank you. Now that you got those quilts sent off on Monday, have you started on another project? Yeah. (laughs) So I have six quilts that I need to make. And one of them is an existing design, but five of them are brand new designs. So I need to write them up and make them by the middle of January. So I actually got the quilts that I sent to market done on Thursday, but they didn't want them to be sent until Monday because they were flying into Houston. But I got started writing up two of the patterns and I already made the tops for two of them. So finished one of them this morning. And so now I need to start working on my third one. (laughs) So it's never a dull moment here. Keeping you on your toes. Yeah, but it's fun. Like the two that I just made, I just keep looking at them and really smile comes on my face because I'm very pleased how they turned out. Oh, I love it when that happens. Please share a quilting tip. The best tip that I can tell is that if you haven't tried Studio 180 design tools yet, you owe it to yourself to give it a try. Right tools make a world of difference. Uh, Also, I would encourage everybody to remember to buy a pattern if they see something that they like. It allows pattern designers to keep doing what they do. And it really saves you a lot of time and money in the end because you don't end up making the mistakes and you don't need to take the time to figure out how something was done. But right tools and right patterns make all the difference. Thank you. That helps. Sure. Describe how you went from having quilting as a hobby to becoming a business for you? I have always been a big time dreamer, trying to reach (laughs) heights that, you know, are impossible. So when I first laid my eyes on the quilts, you know, I was really fascinated by them, as I told you before. 
But very soon after that, I started to do my own designs and I started to teach quilting among my friends on my dining room table and then at a quilt store. And I had been a stay-at-home mom and wanted to continue, but also I wanted to provide financially for our family. So I thought what better way to do is than trying to produce quilt patterns because at that point I still thought that, hey, you can make very good money doing that. But I barely got started when my husband got sick. So I had to put that on hold. But when I went back to work, when we moved to Arkansas, and I was working so hard, I was putting my whole heart onto the things what I was working on and not getting the appreciation that I felt like I should get or financial compensation. It just grew stronger and stronger that I really would like to work for myself. And then back in 2013, it was January and my brother-in-law suddenly passed away. He was not even 60 yet. And it kind of shook us. And we felt that maybe this would be a right time for giving my pattern business a try. I didn't want to be, if I get to be lucky enough and grow up to be 80 or 90 years old, I don't want to have regrets in life. So if I didn't give it a try, I may regret like, what if I had given a try, how my life would have been different. So we decided to take a plunge and yeah, it certainly the road is not rosy, but I think I'm finally getting to, I'm putting a lot of hours, like working 24 seven almost, and have made many more connections that there is that and inside that I'm actually going to make it as, as, you know, start earning some money. But it's a plunge that it's not easy to take, but I'm glad that I took mine. Yeah, working for yourself isn't always what some people think it is, but it is rewarding. It really is. Like you are your own boss and it's up to you if you put forth the effort It's you who hopefully will get the rewards, not a corporation. So that part is really rewarding. Yeah. And it also gives you flexibility to a certain degree, at least before I got so busy like I have been this year. But it gives you the flexibility to go and help out your daughters, you know, on the other side of a country if they need something and or take your husband to doctor's appointments and all that. So you don't have to feel guilty of taking time off from your corporate job. Mm-hmm. My husband and I have been entrepreneurs since the 80s. And when we started, his mom said, you only have to work half days. You just have to decide which 12 hours you want to work. Oh, that's a good one. That really sums it up. Share the name of your business. I believe you have businesses and how you came up with those names. Yeah, it's Quilters Treasure Chest and QTC Quilting. It's basically the first letters of the Quilters Treasure Chest. To me, quilts are treasures. And somehow I got the idea of when I was thinking about treasures, I was thinking about pirates and their treasure chest. And that's how it came up. Actually, my first patterns that I produced 
before my husband got sick, I had a graphic designer to do my logo and then also the cover. And it was kind of like a treasure map and the ocean. And it was actually then quilted items that I was doing the patterns for. But I don't remember exactly why I chose that theme, but I think it must have been because quilts are treasures. Mm-hmm. You tried to start back before your husband got sick, but when did you officially start your business? In California, I got my business license in 2003, but then we moved here in 2005. I went to work in 2006. And I think that I applied for a business license in 2007, but I really didn't get started until 2013 when I quit my corporate job. Those sound like busy years. Yeah, very busy. What made you decide to start producing your quilt patterns? Had you made them for other people or what? Well, I really, really enjoyed teaching and then figuring out myself. I'm not artistic, but I'm good in math. And it seemed a very nice fit to figure out the, how many things do you need, how many four-inch squares you need over here, and what is the total yardage. It gives you a lot of satisfaction in that way. But making quilts... And producing patterns, it's something that brings me a lot of joy to see that my patterns are appreciated by others. And as I mentioned before, there's nothing better than to be able to be your own boss. You can make the rules, you can take the time off if possible, rather than having to ask somebody, hey, can I go and do this? And to be able to react the rewards of your hard work. You are the one to make the decisions how hard you want to work and nobody else is pushing you. Well, you know, when you work with fabric manufacturers, there are certain deadlines that you're not able to alter, but at least you know, and you can always say, no, I don't have the time to do that or participate in something. So it's, I think, being your own boss and producing something that is beautiful is amazing. Now, when you decided to make that first pattern for sale and you put in all that work, how did you go about, one, selling it, and then when it actually sold, how exciting was that? I was teaching at a quilt store, and they were really nice owners back in California. And when I told them that I was making patterns, you know, they wanted to buy it, and it was really, really awesome. And they end up going to Quilt Market in Houston and they asked me to go along with them. So I got to see my first Quilt Market then and then we stayed for the festival and I was working at their booth. And there was one lady from Norway, all the way from Norway, who came and she ended up buying one of my patterns. It was just such a neat feeling that my pattern went all the way to the other side of the world too. That is fun. And describe that feeling of when you saw a quilt that you had designed and it was made by someone else. It was super rewarding. It just makes your whole body warm and fussy. 
But what I really, really like is that when somebody took the pattern and changed the colors that gave such a different feeling, but sometimes it's much better than what the original design was. Sometimes it's pretty much equal, but still so different. I really, really enjoy seeing the different people's vision for the same pattern. It's amazing how you take that same pattern. And I've said this over and over again, but and two different people make it and they are so totally different. It is amazing. Yeah, sometimes you cannot even tell, like you need to take a second look. Is that really my pattern? <laughs> Just uh, sometimes uh, people put different values of fabric in different places and it completely can change the pattern or the quilt, how it looks. Just such a dramatic difference. Mm-hmm. Now, not only do you design patterns, but you're a professional quilter also, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So I got my long arm about half a year after I had quit my corporate job. And I certainly needed a lot of practice before accepting any customers. But then I did my own quilts and I went into charity quilts. And then by December of that year, I had my first paying customer. Her name was Nadine. She was then 89 years old. And it was actually her daughter who had reached out to our guild. And she ended up interviewing several of the long armors. And for whatever reason, she chose me to quilt her mother's quilt. Once I got the quilt, I ended up taking it to Nadine at her senior housing complex. And we really ended up forming a very special bond. And I ended up even getting invited and went for her 90th birthday party. What was interesting about her is that, you know, being 90 years old, she didn't see really well anymore. But she ended up producing one more quilt, which I had also a privilege of quilting for her. The sad thing was about the time when I got it done, she was in the hospital. So I took her quilt to her into the hospital. And about two weeks later, she passed away. So it was kind of a sad thing, but I felt so privileged to have been able to bring so much joy to a person who was so sweet. Mm-hmm. And she had to have appreciated getting to see that all done. She really did. The only sad thing was that for whatever reason, her daughters, she had three daughters and a son, and they were all at the hospital when I went and took the quilt there. And I later found out that the daughters insisted that she shouldn't keep the quilt in the hospital, but rather it would be waiting for her at her room in the senior living complex. So she really didn't get to enjoy it too much beyond when she initially saw it. So it was kind of sad. That's sad. And yet I wonder if they were concerned of it getting lost because things do get lost at the hospital like that. And it would have been horrible if it was lost. That, that's very true. I guess I need to think about that way because I just always just felt so bad for her. <laughs> Anything else you want to tell me about Quilter's Treasure Chest? 
like any other small business, I appreciate my customers a lot because without them, I wouldn't have a business. What is sad though, as a small business owner, and especially in this niche, is that there are a whole lot of people who turn sour when they see a price of a pattern or a cost of a quilting. I don't think people really understand how much time and effort it takes to produce a quilting pattern. I guess early on, it could have taken months and months just to produce one. When you're first learning how you want to have a layout goal and flow and all the different things that you need to learn, you know, computer programs, photography, all kinds of things. So I just hope that people do appreciate what you do for them. And the cost of a pattern is still such a small cost if we consider the whole package, you know, buying fabric and batting and having it long armed. So please support small businesses, especially quilting related businesses. Mm-hmm. And then about the long arming, we as long armers, unless you're really well known, we don't make a whole lot of money. Yeah, quilting may cost $100 or $200, depending on, I only do edge to edge nowadays, because custom quilting just takes way too much time. But there's, you know, a depreciation of the machine. The machines are not cheap. But we still make only a fraction of the cost of an hourly salary basis compared to a plumber or electrician or what have you. So I hope that people would see that we are a real business. We are not just doing this as a hobby and would be willing to pay for what really should be paid and a fair pay for us. Mm-hmm. You mentioned. The quilt cruise, and that's a Stitch in Heaven quilt cruise. How did that come about? And tell me about when that's going to be. Okay, so this was an interesting start. So I had mentioned Ozarks in Bloom quilt pattern that I had designed for Timeless Treasures. And Deb Luttrell, who is the owner of Stitch in Heaven, happened to see that quilt on Timeless Treasures website and contacted me if I wanted to come and teach that on a quilting cruise. I don't know about you, but I watched The Love Boat when I was a little kid back in Finland, and I always dreamt about working on a cruise. And this actually gave me the opportunity to do that. So I said, absolutely, I would love to do it. So they asked me to send a downloadable pattern for them to take a look at it, and I sent it, and then In the meantime, I go to Finland to visit my mom and brother. And then I get an email while in Finland. And it basically says that, well, while this pattern is really pretty, it's not suitable for this cruise because it would take too long time to make it. So unless you have something easier for quilters to make, we're going to have to find another instructor. And I was heartbroken. I'm like, oh, no, no, I do need to. So I right then and there, luckily I had my laptop with me. I started to design another quilt and it ended up being something that she liked. And I was able to teach that. So I have done two quilting cruises so far. My third one will be in about two weeks, which will be before this episode airs. And then my fourth one 
will be something that I'm extremely excited about because it's through Panama Canal and it's a 15-night cruise uh, taking place in April. Oh, how fun. Yeah, I really feel very, very blessed to have Deb having seen me and contacting me because I'm having the time of my life. I mean, there's no better job than teaching on a course. You get to have a vacation. You get to mingle with students. You get to teach. You get to see new places. You get to eat great food, the entertainment. I mean, what would be better than that? So for anybody out there who has been debating whether they should go and take part of a quilting course, I will wholeheartedly recommend you to do that. But not all quilting cruises are made equal. I have heard people during my other cruises complain about some other organizers. So do your homework. I can recommend wholeheartedly Stitching Heaven because they have been doing this for over 10 years. And they have figured out everything that would help the quilters enjoy the whole experience. So I almost can guarantee you have a great time on your cruise. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know, but I did get to interview Deb. So her episode is out there. Oh, great. She is quite a force to reckon with. I mean, she has built such a huge business and I'm just so happy for her. Yeah. And in August, my husband and I had the opportunity to stop at her shop and we got the tour where they showed us the back rooms and she is so organized and they have room for their block of the month and they have a room for the cruise quilts and it is just really, really set up nice. That's great. I visited her when she still had it in Mineola because now she moved equipment and it's so much bigger and so I'm driving to Galveston for my next cruise so I will be stopping and taking a look at it <laughs> oh so, neat. you're gonna have fun yeah I'm looking forward to it well Raya where can we find your businesses so I can be found at quilterstreasurechest.com and my long arm business can be found at qtcquilting.com I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, so just type Quilter's Treasure Chest and I really would appreciate if you would follow me so you can be up to date on what is new and what is coming up. Great, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, I really enjoyed it. Uh-huh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.